welcome to In It Together with Lori Lynn Green. You can live life on your terms at home, work, play, and in the community. Join Lori and industry leaders as they share practical insights with you so you can reach your goals and enjoy your life. Here's your host, Lori Lynn Green. Good morning. Welcome to In It Together. We're so glad that you've tuned in. Uh, Today, guest hosting, I have my good friend, Anita Perry, who is the founder of City Prayer here in New Hampshire. And we have a special guest coming on who is a social reformer, an international speaker and author with his wife. They have books that focus on reforming the seven primary areas of culture and a passion to awaken a generation to the reality of a loving, living God who offers solutions through his sons and daughters for every problem that exists in society. And only a loving God could have such a plan. So we would like to welcome to the show um, Johnny Enlow. Well, thank you very much, Lori. It's a privilege to be on the show with you today and... and um I'm excited about what our conversation is going to be about. Yeah, me too. You know, uh, I am honored and thankful to have you here as I've been reading. Uh, I had read your previous book on the Seven Mountain Prophecy and one of the greatest transition times of my life as a believer. And so much has happened since then that I couldn't wait to get my hands on your new book, The Seven Mountain Renaissance, which is Vision and Strategy Through 2050. Now, from the moment I picked up the book, I began to read it. I was caught up in this holy excitement hanging on every word. It's been encouraging, enlightening, humbling, and might I add, inspiring because of the connection it made with me and such a deep cry of my heart to see God's glory and goodness revealed in his kingdom come. Uh, I felt his love in the pages and a validation uh, as I saw my own life within the words uh, that you write. Now, you have had several well-known other thought leaders, ministers, the prophetic and apostolic voices who have had similar insights into the Reformation and Transformation time uh, in this time in history with uh, differing names than the seven mountains. They use the seven spheres, the seven streams, seven gates. And uh, you only learned about each other after you guys had already uh, been giving your messages. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. When I was receiving what I was on the, the first Seven Mountain Prophecy book came out in 2008, and I began writing it uh, in 2006, and it was part of a personal uh, exploration and, well, just a walk with the Lord of how do we see society changed and transformed. I was already doing city meetings, crusades. We were already seeing thousands get saved in crusade types events. And we were seeing even thousands of people being healed. And I realized I had a paradigm that if we had enough people healed or saved, it would naturally gravitate towards addressing the societal ills. And I realized that not only was that not happening in the cities that I was going to when I would return there a year later as I looked over matters, but I realized it wasn't true in history as well. And so I had been in a personal exploration with the Lord, personal I was thanking him for all the miracles he was doing, but a dissatisfaction saying, how do we see this translate into governments changing, into the structures changing, into economies changing, media changing, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so he, you know, he began to speak to me, I believe it was August of 2006, and he laid out, he said, I'm going to give you a template of how my kingdom is coming. 
and it was connected to the children of Israel's template for going to the promised land where there were seven enemy nations greater than, and mightier than them, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Girgashites, all the ites. And out of that, we connected it with uh, Revelation 17.9, talks about seven, it's where it does actually use the terminology seven mountains that the enemy, it calls her the, the, harlot, the harlot system, that she lays on seven mountains. And so that's where we came with the terminology of seven mountain prophecy and understanding that there are seven mountains that must be occupied in a proper way in the spirit where we bring the influence and the solutions of the kingdom of God into the structures of society itself. Right. And um, as I was writing that, I, that's where I was actually speaking on that in my church when one of my members who, who's, who also travels and ministers mentioned, uh, for instance, Lance Wall now and said, you know, he's got a message called the Seven Mountain Strategy. And I go, no. And uh, that's how we began to uh, and we're now friends with, with, with Lance. Right. At times, it's a little different perspective. But anyway, you're right. We, yep. uh, we didn't know about each other when these things were happening. So now, in your, in your new book, um, you were talking about moving from humanism to God becoming the center of all things. Um, I don't know if you can speak a little bit about yeah. what you mean by that. Yeah, you know, the first Renaissance, Renaissance was a, a period of rebirth and renewal that lasted from the 14th to the 17th century, uh, interrupting uh, the late Middle Ages. Uh, it, had, it had been marked, it was a very dark period before then, and, and uh, the people really made a choice to cast off the restrictive religious shackles of, of the day because the most uh, oppressive and boring thing imaginable is to be under spirit of religion and it had totally just squelched out all life and creativity from the culture and in casting off a religious spirit of course they went even further many cast off god but they made this shift even to just exploring allowing human expression and so even the way the lord expressed explained to me the coming renaissance would be uh, it's not so much the first one was counterfeit. It was counterfeit compared to what this one will be. The first Renaissance was about the brilliance of man when he's unshackled from religion. And mm-hmm. so comparatively speaking, it was a brilliant time. And there was an explosion of, uh, of creativity and literature and art and music, um, even affected philosophy and the politics of, of Europe. Even Christianity began to be reinterpreted through that grid. But it's left its mark, humanism has remained a stronghold mm-hmm. in society ever since because it has always still been a preferable option to religion, dead religion, the spirit of religion itself. And so you, spoke, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so you would say humanism is a type of knowledge, but it's, it's not the same as, as you write here in Habakkuk 2.14, for the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Yeah, that's what's going to be different. This renaissance will be the brilliance of God on display. The first mm-hmm. renaissance was the brilliance of man, and of course we're made in his image, and so there's, in some way it, it does give uh, honor uh, mm-hmm. in an indirect way to God, but this time it's going to be more uh, directed towards him. We're going to know, uh, as the scripture you just pointed out, this, which is end game, I believe, Habakkuk 2.14, that the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of 
God as the waters cover the sea. Mm-hmm. And so they're not, it's not just that it's going to be there, but there will be knowledge of it. There will be the, the connecting of the dots will have been taken place even in society that it is he that is the brilliant one. He's the one that's been the God of solutions and of answers, mm-hmm. and he's the God that is very much prepared to interact with us here in the real world. And, and he's not overwhelmed by our, our technology right. or our advances that uh, we're still quite behind compared to the advances in technology of heaven. You know, and I like how you, you talk about how the, the knowledge of the glory of God is really his goodness being revealed. Yeah, and that's really, uh, you know, it's insightful when Moses in Exodus 33, he asked God if he could see his glory. And God answered and said, yes, I will show you my goodness. And mm-hmm. it was, uh, he identified his goodness with his glory. If you look at, directly at the word glory and what it's translated into, it can mean many things. It's, just, it's this other than world. It's just, we'll say, I like to call it the wow factor from heaven in some way or another. And it would translate into, you know, clouds of glory showing up or at times fire on the mountain. Uh, later on, we'll see in Solomon's temple when there was a presence of glory showed up. The priest couldn't even function. But ultimately, it, it covers the gamut of the goodness of God. And, and it's in it, it's how he would like to express his, his, his presence, his prosperity, his goodness being made available for us. And it's so vital to, to know that. So many times we have a view of God as an angry disciplinarian type of God when he is such a loving God. And, you know, and, and I think that's vital in the next thing that I, I'm reading here uh, where you begin to talk about how we have to, co- we have to cooperate within the assignment that he gives us. But if we see him from, a, a, I guess, a, a perverted point of view, it's going to be difficult to do that. Yeah, and that's unfortunately the reality I still believe for uh, a majority of believers of Christians. A.W. Tozer said, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. And as we explore that idea, we see that to the degree we have a restricted or a limited or a distorted view of him, number one, we'll experience that for ourselves, and then we'll pass that on to society. Haggai, too, it clearly, he calls himself the desire of the nations. And we're used to saying in our day and age, well, it's because there's evil and heathen people and they resist God because they're hell-bound rebels and all that. And there is, you know, there's going to be people that will reject him, uh, perhaps even if he's expressed in his full beauty. But we find the re- reality is, is that when he's presented the way he is, um, when he's presented in the beauty, in the creativity, in the kindness, in the generosity, when he's seen the way he really is, and then re-imaged or represented to society in that way, he is who they desire. He is who they want. We get in the way of his message in a way, but we're called to carry his message. And Jesus himself... Yes, and there... Was, yeah. Yeah. And there are different ages, and in, in according to what you're writing here, you believe that we are in the age of the restoration of all things. Exactly. Acts 3.21 says that Jesus is held in the heavens until the age of the restoration of all things spoken of by his servants, the prophet, the prophets. Mm-hmm. And they would speak of a day when we would, we would, Isaiah 60, we would arise and shine. His light and his glory would be seen on us, not independently of us. He wants to do this through his kids. 
So he wants us to see how he really is and then reflect it to the rest of his kids who, who do not yet know they're his kids. And so we're, 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 we're called to first see him, not just as the God who saves, that's part of the advanced uh, message here. The knowledge of God cannot be limited to only the knowledge that he saves. Much right. of the, the world knows that. I don't know if we could say 90%, but the message that Jesus saves is out there. It's in movies. It's, you have the guys that wear, hold up the signs at sports game. They know he saves, most do. Uh, we, I mean, we can still work on that end of it. But the beauty of the Seven Mountain message is that it proclaims a God who not only saves, but who also governs. That would be the mountain of government. He's creative, the mountain of celebration of arts. He's a communications expert, the mountain of media. He's our father. He's a papa, mountain of family. He's a provider. He's Jehovah Jireh, the mountain of economy. And he's a teacher. He's that mountain of education. So these are nuanced facets of who he is. We know who he is, but we don't know how he is. And therefore, they don't know how he is. And he's more presented as a God of the hereafter instead of Emmanuel, God with us. And that becomes part of, of the distortion of his image here on earth. It almost, it almost sounds as if you're talking about um, the lordship of Jesus in every area. Well, that's what it is. It's, yeah. It really is his, his lordship, not just his futuristic that's eternal, right. He's going to be Santa Claus for us one day, but his right. capabilities on earth as it is in heaven, kingdom come now. Yeah, and, and so um, from that part, I see, you know, the Renaissance itself is, is really just going to be about God and what he's doing. And it, when we allow his lordship, that we can partner with him to, to be able to accomplish our assignment. Well, that, that is it. And, and so... You know, the, with that being where we're going, what is incumbent upon us is to realize we have to look to study him, to see right. him, to expand our perspectives of right. who he is, and realize we've been operating on very low level of knowledge of God ourselves, that we've, uh, we've identified the awesomeness of what he did on the cross and the salvation that he brought for mankind, I like to say, uh, as there are seven colors of the rainbow, there's seven spirits of God, it tells us in Revelation 4, Revelation 5, and each one, I believe, connects with one of these seven mountains we're talking about. And so we've promoted and championed the God of, of you know, one color, we'll say the color blue, and yet the rainbow has all these other colors of who he is, and, and so the, the glory of who he really is, the beauty of who he is, the full spectrum uh, cap- capabilities and capacities that he have has not been looked at by his people in his church yet, and therefore we have not been able to express that and reveal that into society. Right. Well, we have a, we have a couple minutes left in this particular segment, but um, could you touch a little bit on the Caleb vision? You said bringing into culture what our spiritual eyes see, bringing heaven to earth. Yeah, and and that is just something that has resonated for me uh, for those who knew uh, well just uh, I'll catch people up who don't know the story the children of Israel before they went to the promised land they had been in Egypt for 400 years and the Lord through Moses did instigate an exodus from the land of Egypt into the promised land and they were in the wilderness for 40 years but it was never God's plan that they be in the wilderness for 40 years and so they, were, they sent spies at one time. They sent 12 spies into the promised land. They crossed the River Jordan. 
And it's a land that the God, that God had said to Moses, this is a land where you'll be the head, not the tail. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. It's a land where it will not just be emergency provision from heaven like manna, nor the emergency water from the rock, but you will have abundance and that it, it, it establishes his heart for us uh, in that direction. So the spies went in and the 10 spies came back and their report was they saw the giants. They saw the Hittites, the Jebusites, the sons of Anak, and they, in essence, discouraged the whole nation from going there. Not just discouraged, but they absolutely shut it down because they said, the enemies that are there, we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes and in grasshoppers in their eyes. But yet, looking and observing at the same land, Caleb and Joshua went in, and the one we hear the report from is Caleb. And the Caleb vision, it said, he, there was a different spirit on Caleb. And he found the fruit of the land. And so he found the grapes that took two men to carry. And he said, look what's in this land. It's a land surely that flows with milk and honey, flows with abundance. And, and so he tried to encourage the children of Israel. He said, the giants of the land will be bread for us because God is with us. So it's an entirely different way of perceiving right. things. And, and that's what the Lord is, what God is really needing from his people is to catch Caleb vision. Uh, and and yeah. there is just a reality that what you look for, you'll find. Yeah, we have to actually take a break. That's okay. a great note. And we will be back right after this to continue with Johnny and Lowe. Yes. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tired of lackluster results with your marketing? Craving more leads in your business? Tune into the Mojo Marketing Edge with the team behind Mojo Global Marketing, Ira Rosen and Corey Michael Sanchez. Winners of the Marketer of the Year, they will show you how to generate daily leads, build databases of raving fans, and close deals faster than ever before. See what's hot right now and how you can tap into it to generate an endless supply of customers and clients. The Mojo Marketing Edge can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com
Welcome back to In It Together with Lori Lynn Green. Call during our live broadcast with questions or comments at our toll-free number, 1-866-472-5788, or email Lori anytime at info at laurilynngreen.com. Here's your host, Lori Lynn Green. Welcome back to the show. We've been talking with Johnny Enlow, our special guest today and prophetic voice, uh, who's authored many books, but we are talking about his Seven Mountain Renaissance, Vision and Strategy Through 2050 today, and we've kind of set up a little bit of what that means, and hopefully we're going to go into some of America's spiritual and historical foundation. Now, Johnny, I'm going to pick it up from a quote um, that you said in your book. It says, it's it's about influence and not domination. <laughs> what a humbling thought, especially how we are perceived by the world, and you know they will know him by the love that we have, but historically... Christians were dominion-minded. Uh, tell me about that. Yeah, I think it's a very important um, differentiation. Um, there is an understanding that Genesis one twenty-six one twenty through 28 tells us that God made man in his image and in his likeness, and he said, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every creeping thing, etc., etc., and then he says it again in verse 28, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. But then he goes over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every living thing that moves. There's been, even with some that have advanced the seven mountain message, there has been the language that, of dominion that is used a lot. We're, we're going to have dominion, we're called to have dominion. And it's been my suggestion to people that we at least follow up and say what is dominion over. That if not, we allow it to be interpreted by others, which I have heard by those who attack the message, and as if this were some revisiting of the Holy Inquisition times or Constantine's time where it's, you officialize religion and you make people go your way and your route. And so it's just a need to clearly not just define but make it known that the kingdom of God cannot advance through takeover thinking. It comes through, it's, it, it comes through influence. It, it, it is, is so important way, to yeah. say that. It is so important to say that because I do. I hear a lot of, of Christians, especially the ones who are politically charged, coming out as if it's them against us. And, you know, obviously the name of my radio show, We're In It Together, is is yeah. really trying to bring that heart. Uh, we're not trying to have dominion over another group or anything. We, we want God to have his dominion. Exactly. It cannot be about imposition. And that's just mm-hmm. the heart of God from the very beginning. He creates a Garden of Eden for the first two people he has. And the first thing he makes sure is he has freedom freedom of choice. In essence, he creates a red light district in the middle of the garden. And um, it's not to recommend we do that in all our cities, but the truth and knowledge of good and evil was clearly something he didn't have to put there. But apart from it, it would be he wasn't giving them options, and he believes in giving options. And Jesus came and showcased the same kind of kingdom advancement. Yeah, so, you know, even as you've said, we have an unbalanced dominionism in our roots. You know, you go back to, you actually equate the Puritans to a yeah. modern-day Sharia law of radical Islam. Yeah, and they, we really, it's interesting, we have a lot of conversation about the need to return to our Judeo-Christian roots. And I'll ask people, 
which roots do you want to go back to? Because we kind of have two separate roots, and perhaps the the bigger root, the more famous root, is not something we do want to go go back to. Right. We have, you know, this briefly in 1650 in Boston, uh, we had under governmental supervision, we had a, a lady that was executed because she believed that Jesus, that God still spoke to women, and she wouldn't right. stop saying that. And actually then three more of her, uh, uh, three other women that believed that were also executed. And it for really over 200 years, but especially in those early decades, there were many that had their hands cut off. They were publicly flogged uh, and whipped and then killed. Uh, there, was, there were scores that were executed for things such as today we would say would be being a charismatic believer. Uh, it would cost you back in those days. It could cost you your life. And, and so we don't need those Judeo-Christian roots revisited. That is, right. uh, that is, that's just part of what I point out in the book. Well, and you, you know, clearly you said this isn't the way that we advance the kingdom anyway. Exactly. It, it wouldn't matter if it was, even if they were evil people that they were uh, squelching, that's not the way the kingdom of God is meant to advance. Mm-hmm. And you, you said that um, Jesus sends sheep among the wolves, not wolves among the sheep. <laughs> so exactly. what do you mean by that? <clears throat> well, you know, it, part of that is the understanding that we are the ones that carry the spirit. We carry peace. We carry presence. We carry uh, we don't carry the aggressiveness. We allow the influence to do its work. We count on presence uh, being that which goes with us before us. You know, I think uh, I point out in the book that the Puritan passion was not towards presence Christianity, uh, but toward behaving Christianity. It was towards order Christianity. And they were not trying to be better hosts of the presence of the Holy Spirit, but they were rather looking for universal conformity in behavior. Right. And to them, spirituality was about order. And 400 years later, we really have this same, we have these same two streams uh, contending and wrestling for predominant narrative as Christianity of the day as well. And, and we need to be aware of when we wrongly get behind uh, the impositional behaving Christianity instead of the influential presence Christianity. Yeah, and you know, you even start to talk a little bit about um, originally how America got its freedom of religion, and why you know why would that be relevant now? Well, it's it's relevant just in getting the narrative correct, so we understand. I think there's an assumption that many have, or believers have, that yeah, Christians came here because uh, they wanted freedom of religion, but the initial group that came, the Puritans, that mm-hmm. came. Um, they were not freedom of religionists. That was something that was awakened here through uh, the group that were in Rhode Island of the Quakers. And and then it was advanced by, you know, different names at at different times. And, and, um, but it was was particularly the first 150 years before we came, became a nation uh, beginning in 1600, 1750, roughly around there, um, it was it, it was not freedom of religion atmosphere, and it had to be brought by others 
that, uh, uh, you know, a man named Roger Williams. He had been, he was a disgruntled former Puritan. He was the key proponent of freedom of religion. And he is a greatly underpublicized American hero. And, uh, but he's the one that, who in essence began the campaign for freedom of religion. And he fell out of favor with the Puritans, the religion, uh, the dominant Christianity of the day. And uh, he found, you know, he found the city of Providence, Rhode Island, and he's famous for a quote that forced religion stinks in the nostrils of God, nostrils of God. And so he campaigned, and in essence, he had it written into, he is responsible, his, him and William Penn, they, for having it written into the Constitution first of Pennsylvania, and from there it was extracted even to the Constitution of the United States. But this was not the prevailing thought. That had that this was not the spiritual or the Christian atmosphere of America for the first 150 years. Yeah, you know, and and from that, you know, one of the things you were saying in your book was that we have to really consider before making that bold statement of having dominion or taking over or even taking a mountain that um, that you know it's not just exercising because we can do something by majority, but we want to think about the questions before uh, we reform yeah. or train or whatever, build momentum in that kind of restraint thing. And, and it's just so important because uh, we could, if we got on the all on the same page too quickly as believers in America and said, hey, we're the majority, let's just take over, we could revert back to those the the spiritual atmosphere the first 150 years uh, in America where, you know, yes, there was great order, but if you didn't show up to church on Sunday, you would not be allowed to vote. You could be publicly whipped, and there would be order. There would be perhaps much less crime, but it would be not be the atmosphere that is conducive to the kingdom and presence of God advancing on the earth. And we need to put those... Uh, we need to put those brakes in our system now. I, I, I don't want to say it's good that we have lack of unity in understanding our need to properly influence society, but we sure don't need the wrong unity where we decide, decide that we can impose our right. will on the people by just being the majority. Yeah, we just we don't want the pendulum just to swing away to the other side, and now it just becomes another version of it the other way. Exactly. Johnny, I just appreciate um, your educating yourself in this in this manner. I'm having this sense right now that um, you're really making a way for um, many people who don't yet know God, who are educated uh, regarding our history. I just have this sense that this conversation is just making a way for these people uh, to join the conversation. And I just appreciate your uh, knowledge so much, your studying history, and your spiritual discernment is just amazing. I'm just really hoping that people are listening in today. Um, it's just, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time for your studies. Well, well, thank you. And I do, I do concur that I think we haven't given people even an opportunity to engage in discussion uh, and enter into the fray of consideration of there being a, a, a healthy way that Christianity could affect things. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them who have studied history and realize uh, what they were doing and the control and the imposition that's taking place. And so there is a natural resistance to that happening again. We don't need revisiting again of the, of the Holy Inquisition days. 
and um, and I think that's what the Lord wants. He he wants to uh, allow His way of doing His better way of doing things to be made known to all His sons and daughters. He really He doesn't see the us and them thing. We get into that, but He looks at all at everyone as sons and daughters, and some know they are, and some don't yet, mm-hmm. and sometimes they don't know that yet because they have thought his ways are things that they really are not right you know there's a a lot of talk today especially politically about the term rights you know what our rights are Mm -hmm. and um originally you know in the the constitution or actually the bill of rights you you wrote here it says make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof and um, so you were talking about, you know, the Quakers and their values of freedom and what their atten- intentions were. But So today, what would be the difference between what the thinking is about rights and freedom as opposed to that time? Well, from the standpoint of, of believers or uh, of kind of a society in general? Well, I think for society in general, but also believers, they're kind of, they don't get the, I feel like they have a truth, but not the whole truth. Well, it's true. I mean, I don't know if this is answering it correctly, but to follow up where you were just a moment ago, you know, the the concerns of the, there's still debate and argument on, was the concern of those that are initially writing about the freedom of religion were they trying to protect government from religion, or were they trying to protect religion from government? Yes, and that is the, what I was talking about. Yeah. yeah. The truth is it's both, but the truth also is from, what, from their world at that time, they were more trying to protect government from religion. And if you just understand who is writing it and they're thinking and read all their other pages and books, you, you realize that that's the truth, but they were also... Um, still very concerned that religion would be protected from uh, meddling by government. So it was written in the best way they could possibly do to give protection from both religion from government, government from religion. Yeah, I think that's important to understand that that was the goal and, and how it's understood a little bit differently now. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, Thomas Jefferson, he, he wrote that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, that he owes account to none other for his faith or his worship. And, um, and so he wanted, in this, in his, he quoted, in quoting from the Bill of Rights, uh, he wrote that we should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And that's the, the you know the famous wall of separation between church and state. That's what he was he was wanting the wall that separated both ways, that protected from both ends. Yeah, and it was it was supposed to be to allow people to worship as they saw fit themselves. Yes. yes, and not like you said, not to have an imposition, but it wasn't also to remove it though, and that, that's where there's some confusion today. Yeah, it was not to remove it. It was clearly for there to be. He wanted both freedom of religion and freedom from religion, should that be an individual's choice. So that's the part, if we simplify it, I think that's what we want to remember as we're advancing whatever advances of Reformation, that if there are people who want freedom from religion, then we should grant that freedom to them. 
Yeah. And at the same time, while protecting our own freedom of religion, you know, at times there are overlaps where it's hard to actually work that out. Uh, and so it's easier said than done is when is one person's or one side's freedom encroaching on the other. And mm-hmm. that's where there has to be discussion. We generally go to demonizing at that point, but discussion would be healthy. Yeah, we have about we have about a minute. So uh, I just want to kind of close this segment out with uh, how you said that freedom, how freedom happens is in an atmosphere of freedom. You want to share about that? Yeah. Um, you know, well, the influence happens in an atmosphere of of freedom, mm-hmm. and and you know, speaking of of Jesus and his attractiveness, and he's the desire of the nations. It tells us in Luke that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And in generally, what we're, we're we like to say now is, I like, know Jesus wasn't popular; they crucified him, but he honestly was popular with the common man. He was liked, received, and we don't hear about the common man not liking him. It was religious and religion that didn't like him. And they're the ones that, uh, uh, that of course, ultimately killed him and got rid of him. But influence, uh, I just share that influence is a byproduct of having favor. And that uh, favor is this, you know, hard to describe. It's an irresistibility uh, uh, thing that comes on us that's hard to, uh, you know, properly well, analyze or describe. But the truth we can we can uh, we can pick up on that before we jump into the Renaissance of the Seven Mountain Society after this message. Okay, that, Johnny. That sounds that sounds good. All right, we'll be right back with more Johnny Enlow. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show. The Sharon Kleina Hour. Health, environment, and the power of water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective. Your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. On the morning of August 5, 1962, the world awoke to the shocking news that Marilyn Monroe, one of the biggest icons in Hollywood history, had been found dead. What really happened that night? Join Nina Bosky as she seeks to uncover both the life and tragic death of Marilyn Monroe and what keeps her so popular over 50 years later. Good Night Marilyn Radio, live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Hospitality News Network for a look inside the travel, hotel, restaurant, and hospitality industry. Host Stephen Nicole and his guests will teach you everything you've wanted to know about this fascinating industry. Who knows? You might just want to change your own career path. At the very least, you might end up being a preferred customer. The Hospitality News Network is broadcast live every Monday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
Welcome back to In It Together with Lori Lynn Green. Call during our live broadcast with questions or comments at our toll-free number, 1-866-472-5788, or email Lori anytime at info at laurilynngreen.com. Here's your host, Lori Lynn Green. Welcome back to In It Together. We've been having a wonderful time talking with Johnny Enloe, the author of The Seven Mountain Renaissance, Vision and Strategy Through 2050, 2050. Actually, this is a second book off the original Seven Mountain Prophecy that he had written quite a bit, quite a few years ago. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the history of America. We've talked a little bit about um, divine, defining a vision and also how the kingdom is going to come through the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. So before the break, we were talking a little bit about the favor, uh, having favor, and I think it's really important as we go into this last and final segment, which is going to overview the Renaissance on the seven mountains of society today. And it is important that even as Jesus developed favor with God and man, that we also will need to develop favor with God and man so to bring the kingdom. So, Johnny, could you kind of share a little bit about that before we go into the seven mountains? Yes, and just to repoint out again that it does say that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men, and that uh, we shouldn't be considering Jesus just as one hated by all society, that he really did grow in favor, and that's the favor we want to grow in, and it was a favor with the common men that he, that he had, and it was religious systems or those who felt their power was being challenged by his presence. So, you know, true godly favor, I believe, is that which comes by carrying a high measure of love. And it's yes. the, the high measure of love will, will manifest in actions that are attractive to people of goodwill and unattractive to people of devious intent. And so I think this is to be our goal and, how, and our desire and how we want to advance the kingdom of God. And that we have to resist any and all impulse um, to impose, to think impositionally, imposing on the masses. And, and anything that's a matter of conscience between man and God, we don't want to be uh, those involved in enforcing uh, uh, things and decisions upon people. And I think something I write is that there is a beauty of freedom that outweighs the beauty of order. And that's mm-hmm. part of what we really need to embrace. This is, you know, the Bible says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Right. And pointing back to the Garden of Eden atmosphere, this is just central to who he is mm-hmm. and, and how he operates. And he incorporated that from the very first community that he formed on the planet. So the kingdom of God comes first in freedom, and then the order it brings is an inside-out order, not an outside-in order. And we're often going after that backwards. By inside-out, he loves us, he comes in, he takes residence there, he impacts us, and so from we voluntary inside-out, we begin to accept his better ways of doing things instead of the outside-in, the outside pressures that would force behavior. And you know, God has always had the power to do in a mere instant that what he needs that which he needs to have accomplished, but he's had the patience to 
to endure the the difficult and arduous process of winning over hearts and minds uh, mm-hmm. through love in order to accomplish his goals. And so we want to be like he is. We want to have that same kind mm-hmm. of patience. We want to, you know, he could, he could grab the world by their hand and make them cry uncle. He let me know that years ago. He says, I can get them to repent in 10 seconds. It's not my story. I'm not doing it by any means necessary. I'm going to win with love. Yeah, and, wow. and, you know, you do say, uh, you know, we want to get into his story and how he does things. And, you know, I like that scripture. That's, I think, the um, the Message Bible in Matthew eleven twenty eight and 30, where it says, Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace because I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Yeah, I love that. That's a great version. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it really uh, epitomizes, you know, what what you're talking about. And you know, we can't do it without that foundation of knowing a loving Father, um, it, where all the fruit comes from. <laughs> You know, we can't have good fruit without that love there, or we can't operate in the gifts or teach or anything without his love there. And um, so you're talking about, um, you know, bringing the kingdom here on earth. It's an inside-out job. That means we become first. Yeah. It's, it's learning our identity and who we are, and as he is, so are we in this world. And... Um, so we, you know, it says God is love. Well, if he's love, so are we. We are yeah, love. Exactly. And so we're here to model that. And, and so I think that's what you mean by inside out is as we model and reflect who he is to a lost world or even to other believers, what we do is we set a standard um, that is more desirable than the mess that they're in. Exactly. You know, it's to champion love instead of rules. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's always harder to love than to impose rules. Mm-hmm. And so we generally defer to that which is easier. And we're just wrong on that. Yeah. And, and a, a lot of, I'm sure we could get a lot of argument on that from some, some arenas. But um, when you know that real love, there's just nothing else that replaces it. Yeah. And uh, that's really... I guess you could say the real deal. <laughs> I think I'm, so. As, I mean, you know, it's, Scripture says the love of God constrains us, mm-hmm. and as opposed to knowing the rules constraining us, when He really is operational inside of us, He works inside. Jesus Himself said, "I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He will convince the world of their sins." When we allow the insight, we'll have the patience to allow the inside-out dimension of the kingdom and of the way He does things. To advance, it is just well, so much better. Well, the word does tells us it is through faith and patience that we inherit the promises. Yes. So we could do cryanko, and that would be a, a, a quicker a quicker response, but it won't be long lasting, and it won't be one that will endure. Exactly. It's and, that's exactly right. And we want God's heart. We want them to have God's heart, and that's really the whole point: is to get you know bring the hearts of people to the Lord, not not to rule over them, per se. Um, So as far as transitioning into what a seven-mountain society would look like, um, 
could you explain the transition? You were saying trans, uh, you have like this kind of uh, idea that instead of being transition-minded, we want to be reformation-minded. Yeah, or uh, I'm not sure exactly where I wrote about that. There's a part of, there's revival-minded versus reformation-minded. Reformation, uh, the thinking there, and that's how we advance in the Renaissance, that my, my perspective is that the seven areas of society, which should be media, education, government, economy, family, arts and entertainment, and religion, these seven areas are all designed to represent an aspect of who God is. There is an image of who he is that needs to be revealed in that area of society. We know the mountain of religion, the aspect of who he is, the facet of his face is the face of God as redeemer. Mm-hmm. He sent his only son, he paid the price, receive it, enter relationship with him, and that's the one, that's the one we've, we've championed. But there are uh, these six other facets of his face, or I like the visual of the rainbow. That's like championing one color of the rainbow. There's the other colors uh, uh, of the rainbow. And the Renaissance comes as we realize that he is a God of government, that heaven uh, is not anarchy, that if, if we were thinking, I can't wait to go heaven because there's no more government, well, he's still king. There's mm-hmm. just a glory to a properly executed government. And so once we consider that and get insights from the scripture and from some things through the Holy Spirit, we, we realize that our assignment is to study how does government function in heaven? Because Jesus said, contend for on earth as it is in heaven. To pray for and contend for your kingdom come, your will be done, the way things happen in heaven for them to happen on earth. And I believe these seven mountains are seven facets of life and reality in heaven. And so there's education in heaven, there's media in heaven, there's arts in heaven, there are all these things. And so our assignment comes to see how things are done, to consider how things are done. Again, there are many keys in scripture. Um, We have even more, I have a a book that preceded this one called Rainbow God, The Seven Colors of Love that fits in really well with the direction I'm going. So the Renaissance Renaissance and, and this expansion and growth in the knowledge of God comes as we consider how he is and how he does things in heaven and then how we look to carry that image of who he is here on earth. And so that applies, uh, again, for government, for media, for all these, all these areas. And that's what we go into a lot in this Renaissance um, book. And I think even here I, I'll have referred to several times uh, as a point of reference, the Rainbow God book, The Seven Colors of Love, because I think that is the assignment to, first of all, see who he is, and then carrying his image. It is the reflection of his image, which is an image of light. That is how darkness gets pushed back. It's not by imposing rules, but it's, uh, as the Rainbow God book states, the seven colors of love. There are seven nuances of how he loves. There's how he loves in government. There's how he loves in economy through provision, how he loves to provide, how he loves to be creative. There are seven different aspects and facets of his love we want to, first of all, see and then reveal, uh, represent in society. And is that that becomes very attractive to the world even. Yes, amen. So, um, you know, as is it okay if we take take a little bit of a journey here and maybe take one mountain at a time and and perhaps you can shed some light on how it looks kind of now, but how it's really God's plan for how it's supposed to look. 
like starting with the mountain of religion. Well, yeah, the mountain of of religion is, uh, you know, I, I suppose it's the one we know the most about. We'll say as as believers, for those who are Christians, we understand that the assignment is to get the truth out to people that they know that salvation is only through Jesus Christ. Right. And um, and. Honestly, because we have not presented the other colors of who he is, the other aspects of who he is, it has, it, it, sometimes there is an over-messaging of one aspect. And, and, you know, the truth is for all other major world religions, the path to salvation or to eternal security is either, it always remains uh, unclear, you remain in, in a constant state of, of concern while you're here, uh, you, there's uh, present insecurity as well as eternal insecurity, or there's always a connection with that salvation or your soul prospering or uh, whatever the word to describe uh, um, success in the hereafter is tied into your behavior. Right. And, and this is where Christianity is different because Christianity says, listen, your behavior can never be good enough to get you into heaven. And so there was one who did the behavior. Jesus came, and he was sinless. He did it all, and he paid the price on the cross mm-hmm. with his blood. And so if you accept that, then um, that, is, that is how you uh, come to salvation. And so, I mean, it, the, the process, it's, it's going well in, in certain, uh, if you look at statistical realities of, the one in every three on the planet right now say they're followers of Jesus Christ, and and those filled with the Holy Spirit are one in ten. And so, right, it is something that it, that part of it is going well if we look at it strictly in terms of. Wow, I actually, Johnny, you know what? I actually mistook the time. It looks like we only have like 30 seconds, and I want to give you time to give your contact information. Uh, They're going to have to read the rest in the book if they want it, so (laughs) go ahead and tell them. We just want to whet your appetite. You're right, this hour has gone by super fast, a lot of fun. Well, our website is johnnyandelizabeth.com, and uh, she's my wife and partner and best friend, and and she did a great job co-writing the seven mountain, uh, a rainbow God, the seven colors of love. You hear uh, what uh, the female version of things, and she just has a wonderful way of communicating, expressing her heart. And also, if you want to join our email list, it's real easy. You text J and E, as in Johnny and Elizabeth, J and E, to 33733. So if you text that to 33733, that will put you on the email list. And, of course, well, the Renaissance book, we'd love you to get it. All right. Well, we are out of time, Johnny. It's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening in today. You can um, listen to this in the archives. It'll be playing in, again in 12 hours live. Um, so we'll be back uh, next week with more industry leaders. Thank you for coming. Thank you for joining us today. In It Together with Lori Lynn Green airs every Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to tune in next week and remember, we're in it together.